You know, not all the people I've written about in Living an Uncommon Life have been guests on my show. I've been fortunate to cross paths in the most amazing ways with truly amazing people. John Denver, Oprah Winfrey, and one of the world's most loved superstar athletes on and off the field, the late, great Walter Payton. Essential Life Lessons from Walter Payton. Just like the person who punches a clock to start his shift, your card has already been pulled from the rack and punched in, and the meter is running. How much time do you think you have? Since the beginning of time, nearly 70 billion humans have inhabited the earth at one time or another. At present day, only about 6 billion of us are left. That means that 64 billion have been born, lived their lives, and are gone. Most as if they had never been here at all. I hate to be the bearer of reality, but the truth is, we're all getting our cards punched out at some time, and our shift will be over. The average life expectancy in America is just about 77 years, give or take. That's just over 28,000 days in which to figure out why you're here, what you're going to do about it, and how you want to live it. So just so we're clear, the ground rules are this. Life's not fair in any way, shape, or form. You could be here one day and gone the next without warning. You can do all the right things like exercise, eat right, get enough sleep, not smoke, limit your alcohol intake, and still get struck by lightning, run over by a bus, gored by a bull, or slip in the shower. Life begins in an instant and often ends the same way. Our arrogance and ego keep us from staying in the moment. We look at the obituary page and cannot imagine our picture there. Death is something that happens to someone else, no matter how many funerals we attend. We cannot imagine our own demise, which in turn keeps us from experiencing our lives to the fullest. Denial is not just a river in Egypt, it's a state of mind, and one that most of us live in when it comes to understanding that we have come in on time, we leave on time, and the in-between time is always the right time to make time for people, places, and events that are really important. Walter had a special connection with children, and I believe that's because kids knew instinctively what moments are really all about. To this day, every time I give a piece of hard candy to my son Andy, I think of another moment that will live in my mind and heart forever. It wasn't unusual for me to take Andy along if I had a meeting with Walter or his assistant Ginny. Andy was only three, and oftentimes my only choice was to have him tag along. One day I was standing in the doorway of Ginny's office with Andy holding my right hand, and I happened to glance to my right and saw Walter holding out some hard candy for Andy, but he was lying on the floor, only his head and arm were out of his office. As soon as Andy started towards the door, poof, Walter darted back in like it was shot from a cannon. Andy cautiously crept down the hall, and just as he reached the candy Walter had left on the carpet, Walter grabbed him from inside the office, and the two of them disappeared back in the room, laughing like hyenas. Ginny and I finished our meeting, and 20 minutes later, I walked into the office of the NFL's all-time leading rusher, the most feared running back to ever carry a pigskin, the man who used a straight arm like a sledgehammer, to find him playing on the floor with my three-year-old son. They had taken 12 golf tees and set him up like bowling pins and were using his logo golf balls to mow him down. Unbelievable. Moments. To this day, when Andy sees hard candy, he looks at me and says one word, Walter. There was a letter on the wall in Walter's office that I read every time I came and went. It was from two young parents who had written Walter to thank him for stopping by to see their terminally ill son. The boy was 10 years old, and Walter came in unannounced and held the hand of the little boy and stroked his head while he shared his faith in God with the parents. He kissed the boy's forehead and eventually left. A few days later, the little boy passed away, and the parents wanted Walter to know that it meant the world to them that he had taken the time to stop. That was Walter Payton. 
but you could also find him answering the office phone in some made-up high-pitched voice or playing computer games at the front desk. These are just a few of the many memories I have of Walter, like his celebrity roast, the meetings when he would flick peanuts behind his back to break the tension in the room, or watching him hit a golf ball like a pro. But there's also great regret. I had moved to Michigan, and I went back to Chicago for a visit. I hadn't seen Walter or Ginny or anybody else in the office for a couple years, so I went to the office on a Friday. The guard at the front desk recognized me and informed me that the office had moved. I got the address and planned on stopping by to say hi. When I hit the first stoplight, I decided to turn right and go to another appointment and then stop at Peyton's on the way back. I got busy, so I never stopped, and I never saw him in person again. There was a massive outpouring of love for Walter during his illness. Total strangers offered a part of themselves as organ donors. Others held prayer vigils. Thousands of letters of support poured in from every corner of the world. Perhaps the most jarring moment was when Walter appeared on national television along with Jarrett and asked for our prayers. We watched the man of steel fall prey to the ravages of cancer right before our eyes.